0: Thank you, praise team and instrumentalists. Thank you, congregation. Obviously, when we sing, we sing congregationally, and I'm always thankful to hear the voices of the congregation. Thankful for that song. I'd not heard that before, and I appreciate that, Emily. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. This morning is the beginning of the end of of the WIN series, if you've been with us, the W-E-N WIN series, as we've looked at these three broad categories of worship, evangelism, and nurturing, which is where we are now, looking at this idea of nurturing, as we've seen these as practices of things that should be normative for us as a New Testament church. These should be things that we emphasize. These are large categories of things that we should be dedicated to. So this is really my my prayer through this is that not only do you do these individually, like that you worship God individually, that you evangelize and that you support mission work, and that you are nurturing and edifying and building up brothers and sisters around you. I pray that you do that individually, but I also pray <laughs> that these are things that mark the culture of Mount Zion Baptist Church, that, that your family that doesn't go here but that talks to you regularly and says, hey, you know, what y'all do at church? What's been going on at church? Visitors that pop in from time to time, friends that happen to be in town, that they would recognize these as things that we cherish, things that we hold in high regard, that they would recognize that worshiping God and evangelizing the lost and nurturing one another and caring for one another are things that we take very seriously, individually and corporately. And so it's really kind of the aim of this series. That's why we've been looking at this. And Ephesians chapter 4 is the last text that we're going to look at in this series. Now that might sound a little bit misleading because we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 4 for the next three weeks. Now, that was not originally the plan. The the original plan was we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 this morning, and that was going to finish up the series. But as I prepared and as I was studying this week and as I was looking at this text, upon further review, it's going to take about an hour and a half to cover verses 1 through 16. And I thought, I wonder if they would rather me just take an hour and a half today and do that or split it up into three 30-minute sermons. So I didn't have to send out a text to get a vote. I thought I knew how that would go. So we're going to take the next three weeks, and we're going to consider this text that is a deep and a rich text about our communal life together, us as a body. What does it look like? Last week, we saw the basis for our love and nurturing and edifying of one another, and that is the love of Christ. He says that we should love one another as He has loved us. Today we're going to begin to see what does that look like when it plays out. When we have that sort of love for one another, what does that look like when we put it into practice? So look with me in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll begin with verse 1. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Before we consider this text, let's pray together. Father God, I am thankful to be a part of Mount Zion Baptist Church. Lord, I am thankful for the unity and harmony that we share here, that we enjoy here. Father, I'm thankful for the the nurturing, loving nature of this church. Lord, the culture that, that puts great value on caring for one another and caring for one another well. Father, I pray today that we recognize that this is not something that we do simply because we enjoy it, but you help our hearts to recognize that this is what you have called us to. This is how we ought to live. This is what we should be doing, and that there's great reason for us to be zealously desirous of this. So, Father, help our hearts to understand this text. Help our minds to grasp the concepts here, and then, Lord, allow us to work Hard to put these things into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here Paul begins in verse 1. He kind of references his current situation and then he references their current situation or their current standing as well. It's kind of the basis for what he's going to lay out here. And his situation, as he refers to himself as a prisoner for the Lord, that's not figurative language, that's literal language. So Paul is literally in prison at this point. He's writing this letter to the church from prison. Not only is he in prison, but he is in prison. He is a prisoner for the Lord, as he says, that he is in prison for the cause of having followed Christ faithfully. So he's done what he was supposed to, he has proclaimed the gospel, he has tried to teach converts, he has tried to disciple young men, and in doing this, he has been arrested for it. He has been put in prison for it, for not being willing to recount his faith. And so, for me, the fact that he begins in that way, he begins with his current situation, and how faithful he has been, faithful to the point of going to prison, right? He says that basically he's saying, here, I would rather be in prison, locked up, facing execution. I would rather do that than I would to live unfaithfully. I would rather follow Christ all the way to the cross or to the gallows if I had to before I would renounce my faith in Christ. And it adds a ton of gravitas of Wait to the calling that he's going to give here. He says, this is how seriously I take my calling as a follower of Christ. And then he immediately in that verse says that he urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. So he says, this is how seriously I've taken my calling. And this is what I'm calling you to do is to take your calling seriously. Now, what calling does he have in mind? I think we understand that he's speaking of our calling as Christians, as followers of Christ. But I did want to read to you just a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians. That's another letter that Paul wrote. So the same author, and he uses some of the same language where he's talking about calling. And he spells it out well there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, it says this. For consider your calling, brothers... you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Point one this morning is this, Christ is worth living for. Paul shows that for him, Christ is worth dying for, right? He's in prison. He's willing to go to that link. But what he's calling us to do here is not necessarily to die for Christ, but to live for Christ, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What is our calling? Well, we have been chosen by God to be his children. We've been chosen and called to follow him, to become sanctified, right? We have, we have been delivered from darkness into light, from death to life, from being sinful to being forgiven. And now that this is our standing, we should desire to follow Christ, to live in the way that Christ lived. We should be thankful for the opportunity to live in the way that Christ lived. And so he begins with this. He says, this is my current setting and this is your current setting. You are a child of God called by him, united with God, reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so now I want you to recognize this. There is a manner of life that is worthy of that calling. There is a specific way that you should be living, which obviously shows that there's also a way that we should not be living. He does not spend time addressing that, but this is what he begins in verse 2. He begins to show us what is. Is the way that we ought to live? What does it look like? What should we be doing? And so in verse 2, he says this of our walk, that it should be with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And I want to stop here with just verse 2, and I want us to consider these because this is. These are character qualities that should mark all Christians. If you're a Christian, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, these are character qualities that should mark your life. And if they don't, then you're not walking in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called in, in Christ Jesus. You're not doing the things that you should be doing. These are imperative attributes for Christian people. So I want us to take a few moments to really consider these. What do these really mean? These words that he used here, some of them we're familiar with, some of them maybe a little less, but, but what do these look like? And I also pray that you can see the clear communal nature of this, right? That these are words that are not used individually. It's it's more it's much more difficult to appear humble or to practice humility if you're the only person around, right? To think of yourself less than others when there are no others is a difficult task. It's difficult to exhibit gentleness and patience if there are no other people around, right? Paul here is giving us attributes that play out in a community. We as a church, and you'll see this as we continue through the rest of these verses over the next couple of weeks, these are things that are meant to be taken in the body, among Christ's people, among the saints. And it makes sense because in First John last week, we saw that the love of God should compel us to love one another. Jesus told us that his love for us should compel us to love one another. And so Paul here basically is saying this. If you are a Christian, then you have a calling. And that calling is to walk in a way that shows your love for other Christians by being humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another. All right, so let's look at these individually. The first one that we have here is humility. Now, most of us understand the word humility. We've talked about it, but I wanted to make this point specific. Humility was a word that was somewhat despised in Roman times. So where Paul is writing here, it was a word that was not used often, and when it was used, it had a negative connotation. People did not want to, if somebody called you humble in this day and time that he was writing, that would have been like a slight against you. People did not want to be seen as humble or walking with humility. And if we're honest, I think it is in our day and time as well, right? We kind of really like the idea of favor favors the bold, right? Those go-getters, you be the, the, the leader that makes everybody else work for you, is much more desirous than humble, humility, serving other people. But even though in Roman times and in, I would say, largely our secular society as well, even though humility is seen as a negative thing, it is a decidedly Christian virtue or characteristic. I do not care what the Romans thought about humility. I do not care what my lost friends and neighbors think about humility. I care that Christ was the most humble person that has ever lived on the face of this earth. Christ exemplified what humility looked like, and he called me to do it. Over and over throughout the New Testament, we are called to walk in humility, to be humble humble, to serve other people, to take on the mind of Christ who went to the cross for us. So what does it mean? It refers to not having too high of a view of yourself, not thinking of yourself more than you should. It's the idea of thinking of other people as being more important than you are. and So you can see why a lot of people don't like the idea of humility. But again, I don't care what those people think. I care about what the Scriptures say. And the Scriptures say, I should desire to be known as a humble person. All right, the second one here is gentleness. And these two are really put together, humility and gentleness. So these two strengthen, they work together. Gentleness, I'll I'll give you the definition of the word that Paul is using here first. It's the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of your self-importance. Not the quality of not being overly impressed with yourself is what Paul's talking about here. Now, that's not what I think of whenever I hear gentle. That's not the term that comes to my mind. But I read a commentator this week who, who said that when these these two words, he says, they refer to an attitude that both recognizes your position before God, right, that we are people in need, and that also show that we are willing to be kind and gracious to others, even when circumstances might excuse us from showing these qualities. So humility and gentleness working together refer to somebody who knows that we are needy people, right? I don't know if you recognize it or not, You are a needy person. I am a needy person. We don't like to think of ourselves that way, but we are. Without the help of God, we would have nothing and we would be nothing. He literally created us. The first of our ancestors out of dirt, right? Without Him, we have nothing, we are nothing. And it helps me to stay humble when I remember that without the help of somebody else that I would be nothing. That's a pretty humbling kind of thing. And so when I don't think too much of myself, when I don't think about how I'm a self-made man or all the things that I've done, when I, when I put that to the side and I remember that without God, I am absolutely nothing, it helps me to be humble. And when I think about this, when I think about the fact that I myself am needy, And when I don't think of myself as being more important than I really am, it really helps me to be willing to be gracious and gentle and polite and kind to other people. And that's really the idea that we see here, is that when we don't think too much of ourselves, we're willing to serve and be kind to other people. Obviously, this was Christ's character. Although he could have thought of himself as something because he is everything. He is above all, right? He is preeminent in everything. But still, he left heaven and came here. He took on the punishment for our sin. He washed feet. He walked with lowly people. He ate with sinners. He did all sorts of things that most of us would never do. And he did it in order to serve other people. To show them how important they were to him to make them feel valued. So Christ was clearly humble and is clearly gentle. But my question this morning is, are you? Are these characteristics that mark you? If I go and ask your friends and co-workers and family, are they going to say, yes, that sounds like blank or not? All right, patience. Most of us understand patience. Right, The idea of not being quick-tempered, not being easily provoked. I did really like one thing that I read about it this week from a man. He said, uh, "He said that if you could con- contrast the idea of quick temper, right? Y'all heard some, y'all said that about somebody before. They've got a real short temper. They've got a short fuse. Y'all know somebody, a lot of you are thinking of somebody right now. Don't say their name out loud. But he said, if... if if in contrast to somebody that's quick-tempered, which we talk about, if we had a, an adjective that was the opposite that said somebody is long-tempered. Now, I've never said that about anybody. I've said, yeah, he's got a short fuse. I've never said, well, he's got a real long fuse. Right? He's long-tempered. But he said, if you did, then that's the idea that Paul has right here. If there's somebody who was willing to be in the, the adjective that's used for God in Scripture is long-suffering... Right, if, if there's somebody that's willing to endure a lot of things while continuing to be patient and kind and all of these things, that's what he's talking about here. And it's certainly equality of God, right? We use that. Long-suffering. The only, only person in all my life I've ever heard of as being referred to as long-suffering is God. And praise God for it because if not, before I came to become a Christian, I would have been cast into hell a million times over. Right. If God were not so long-suffering and so forgiving, I would have been disciplined two million times since then. But God is so long-suffering. He is so patient with us. Even when we are annoying or give Him reasons not to be, He is long-suffering, He is patient, and we are called to be the same. The last one here is kind of humorous to me. Let me... Share that caveat, because I say, I was going to say it's humorous, but I've recognized over the years that there are things that are funny to me. They're not funny to any of you, and that's okay. But the idea of bearing something is, is the idea of dealing with something that's annoying to you. Now, why is that funny to me? Because Paul uses it in communal language. Bearing with one another is a really nice way of saying, putting up with people that are annoying to you. Paul left no stones unturned here whenever he tells us that in the church there will be people that will be annoying to you. Amen? Man, okay. I was just curious how that would go. There will be in your family, among your friends, at work, And yes, in the church, there will be people that at times will be annoying to you. But this is what the idea here is. That even when someone is annoying to you, instead of telling them off, instead of avoiding them, it's continuing to live in community with them. Choosing to still spend time with them, choosing to still be around them, even when it's a little bit more difficult for you to tolerate the way they talk or what they talk about or whatever it is about them that may annoy you a bit, continuing to choose to be with them. And again, God has exemplified this for us, because if you think about all the things in your life that would have to be annoying to God... The lack of time that we spend praying. The lack of time that we spend reading the scripture. The lack of opportunities that we take to share the gospel with other people. And on and on and on. It would have to be annoying to him. But he has never written us off. He's never just left us on our own. He's never said, I'm not listening to Zach's prayer today. Because when he prays, it's going to be a selfish prayer. And why would you pray to me selfish things? He's never done that. He bears with me. And so he calls us to bear with one another. So here's the idea. Are you patient? Are you gentle? Are you humble? Do you bear with people that you would easily and quickly want to write off, but you decide not to because God has called you not to? Do you love them anyways? Do you live your life with them anyways? Because that's what we're called to do. Point two is this. Christ's character is worth taking on. So Christ is worth living for, and this character that is exemplified by him is worth taking on. Us taking this character that Christ has shown us and putting it on ourselves. Many of these things are difficult. I do not try and overlook that fact. I'm not trying to gloss over it. They are difficult. And some of them don't seem to us like the best thing to do. It doesn't seem like the best way to go about those things, but this is our calling that is worthy, this is the walk that is worthy of the calling that we have. And then verse 3 tells us why these things are essential. Why is it important that I'm patient, that I'm gentle, that I'm humble? Some of you may be asking that. Well, Paul addresses it. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the aim, and I know it doesn't sound like it, but I'm going to show you in just a moment. This beginning where he says, eager to maintain, I would translate that as zealous, right? This is is strong desire. He says, you should have a strong desire to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, let me start here. I pray that you recognize how important unity and harmony is. Unity and harmony are. I pray you recognize how important they are. If you've ever been part of a church that was not unified and harmonious, you recognize how important they are. Some of you have this in your family. If your family is the type of family that does not get along well, that does not display oneness, you know how hurtful it is to be part of a family like that. If you've ever been a part of a church, you have probably seen not only how hurtful it is, but how difficult it is to be part of that, and you've probably also seen how much it affects the church's ability to do the things that we're called to do. It's harder to focus on worship. It's harder to do the work of missions and evangelism. It's much more difficult to nurture one another when there's disunity among the church group. And so we should be zealous for it, right? We should greatly desire it because when we don't have it, it hurts bad. And when we do have it, it is good and it is enjoyable. And here, Paul, Paul talks about this idea of, of unity as being, a, being brought about by peace. He refers to it as the bond of peace. And so let me try and give you an example here. This is what he talks about piece as if it's a tendon or a ligament, right? So, tendons and ligaments, they hold bones to muscles and bones to bones, and in a joint, when you have a joint, whatever joint you think about, knee or shoulder, whatever, that joint is held together by tendons and ligaments, And when they're working well, that joint does its job properly and it holds together well and it's a nice, good joint. But when tendons and ligaments are torn or broken, things really mess up and it's painful. In a similar way, if you think about uh, a shirt or a jacket, the thing that makes this a unified piece are the seams, the stitching, right? If this seam is not here, then this sleeve is not part of the jacket. They are separated. They are not one. In the same way, Paul talks about peace as if peace is a tendon or a ligament or a stitching, Peace is the thing that keeps the body unified. Peace is what makes our church unified. So, ligaments and tendons make a joint unified, seams make a garment unified, and peace makes a church unified. So, being gentle and humble makes us one. Being patient and bearing with one another brings about harmony. When we have those things, we act like we are one. When those things are missing, when we're not humble, but we're selfish. When we're not gentle and polite and kind, when we don't bear with one another, when we're impatient, you have a disunified church. And you have pain and you have hurt emotionally and physically and spiritually and you have a lack of getting the work that we're called to do done. Point three, peace is worth fighting for. Yes, I recognize how that sounds. But it is. Peace is worth fighting for. Unity and harmony are worth striving for. We should be eager to maintain these things. God, I want to share this with you. I recently went to a conference and I talked to a pastor... And it sounded, the first part, sounded like it could have been me talking. He was talking about a church that he pastored for several years. And he said, when I was there serving among that body, I felt like it was the healthiest church in the state of Mississippi. Not the largest, not the most well-known, but I felt like it was the healthiest church in the state of Mississippi. And I could say that about Mount Zion. I believe that Mount Zion is an extremely healthy church. I'm thankful that many of these things I'm talking about in this win series are things that we might could emphasize more, but they're not things that we have completely neglected, right? That when I talk about having unity and harmony, it's more that we're eager to maintain it than it is that we're searching for, right? This is not a disunified body, and I'm thankful for that. And he shared that, but he also shared how in just about six months' time, Because of a few things that happened, that church is split and is no longer even one church body. Now, I'm telling you, in a couple months' time, it went from being what I and many others recognized was an extremely healthy church to a church that had split, and the staff and deacons had gone this way, and the rest of the body had gone this way, and they don't even live in community with one another anymore. Why did I share that with you? Because I want you, I want us to recognize that Paul's language here says this is something that we need to seek eagerly to maintain. Brothers and sisters, we have unity and harmony, but that does not mean that we're promised to have it forever. If we do not seek to live peacefully with one another if we start being impatient with each other, if we quit being humble and serving one another, then we will lose the peace that we have as a body. And that reflects poorly on the kingdom, and it hurts the work that we're called to do greatly. So I pray that you're convinced that these are things that you and I are called to do. The last thing that he does here is he he tells us how this comes about. Right, It's easy to say, well, well, shouldn't we be somewhat separated anyways? I mean, look, some of these people have kind of a different skin color than me and some of them come from different places and some of them are blue-collar and some of them are are working in an office and some are more educated and some less educated. I mean, really, we've got a lot of background. Shouldn't we really be disunified in a lot of ways? Paul addresses that as well. How is it that... a, a group of folks that come from so many backgrounds, how is it that they could be unified? Verse 4, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one, God, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And we talked about this Wednesday night, but brothers and sisters, this is what I hear Paul saying here. The thing that binds us together is greater than anything that would separate us. I don't care what your skin color is. I don't care what your hair color is. I don't care how educated or uneducated you are. I don't care what your initial language that you were taught to speak whenever you were a kid was if you have the same Holy Spirit inside of you that I have inside of me, if the one God of the whole universe is the God that you refer to as Father, as I refer to Him as Father, if Jesus Christ, who came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and paid the price for our sins and rose again, is your Lord as He is my Lord, then you're my brother and my sister. And so what we have in common is greater than anything that we have that separates us. Those things are just little things. Those things are temporary things. Ten thousand years from now, when we're around the throne singing in glory, we're not going to talk about who was captain of the high school football team. We're not going to talk about what our education level was. We're not going to talk about what our skin color was. We're going to talk about God. And we're going to sing about Him and His glory. And so Paul says, don't worry about the things that might would separate you. Worry about the thing that binds us together. And so I pray today that that's what we can do. We can think about him, and it would compel us to live as humble, gentle, patient people that bear with one another, even when it's difficult. This morning I'm going to invite you to stand. I have just a couple of questions for you to reflect on before we have a time of response. And the first one is, are you in that group with me, the group that we would call the saints? When I talk about the saints, it has nothing to do with football, I guarantee you that. When I talk about the saints, I'm talking about people that refer to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Are you part of that group? Do you have the same spirit that I'm talking about living inside of you? Because if not, let's stop right there and have a conversation about it. Why would you be interested in that? Why would you want to give your life over to him? If those are questions that you have, I would love to answer those. Again, that doesn't have to be done while we're standing down here in front of everybody, but before you get out the door, just tell me, Hey, Brother Zach, I'd like to talk to you about that sometime soon, and we'll set up a time that we can do that. If you're here and you know that you're a Christian, are these character qualities your character qualities? When I ask your friends and your family, are they going to say yes? Gentle, humble, patient. Even being patient with folks that are annoying to them, check, check, check. That's them. If so, praise God for that because that unity, that peace comes from Him. But if you're here and even one or two of those are weak areas for you, make note of that. Pray and ask God to strengthen you in that area. And make it a priority to work on doing that better. But however the Lord's calling you to respond, I'm going to invite you to do that as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of response.